Today we're going to talk about Tom Fishburne. Generative AI adoption. Okay. Let's transform our entire business using the generative AI I just used to write a poem about my dog. And uh, one of the things I've been impressed with is the silly limericks and things that that uh, chat GPT can come up with so I yeah you may that may that may give you something um, but HubSpot CTO Dharma Shah said at the start of the year Netscape was to the internet what chat GPT is to artificial intelligence the internet existed before Netscape but the browser helped millions of mere mortals connect the dots on what could be done and the dream of what could be. So I actually verified that. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. <laughs> you get the backstory of the backstory from this show. Uh, and ChatGPT came out in 1994, which was before the internet was publicly available. I got on the internet about the you know right as it was open to the public. I I actually viewed it in 1994. Uh, in November or so, um, watched a tour of the Louvre, a friend showed me uh, over his shoulder. And, um, you know, I was using Chameleon for web browser development in 1995. But as it turns out, Netscape was, Mosaic was the precursor and the name Netscape came along in 1994. But uh, so it was before the internet was public. So um, you know, we all have vague notions of what it was like back before the internet. And but thankfully the internet can correct our mistakes. So anyway, uh so basically no one was on the internet before Netscape. You might have been a college professor or something, but there you know, there were there were that was really the the that was really the they, the two go hand in hand. So in a sense, he's right. But anyway, so as this breakout year for generative AI unfolded, the, the analogy has largely come true. Unlike some technology breakthroughs that find adoption in organized silos or bubble up from the bottom, a generative AI has been widely accessible from the start. And so was Netscape. And so was the Internet. <laughs> you know, from the start... That you could get on it if you weren't a, some kind of NASA scientist. And before that, it really wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it, it really wasn't colorful. <laughs> you know, the internet was a sil was a. Uh, you know, you had to type commands and things like that. I was on uh, Exec PC in the 80s, and I was a sysop for a direct marketing chat group on Exec PC, and I would write reviews of DMA shows and we would have interaction out there in the in the mid 80s just to let you know it wasn't the internet but it was um it was CompuServe I believe no it was before CompuServe it was before uh it was before wow there's a lot of stuff anyway so anyway but the real internet came on in the World Wide Web came on with Netscape that's the way it is. So, you know, AI is, was coined in the 1950s, I believe, and uh, it basically has meant anything that 
computers could do that actually worked. 79% of respondents say they've had some exposure to Gen AI and 22% are regularly using it in their work. Be careful with that. Okay, one third say the organizations are already regularly using it and uh, three quarters expect AI to cause significant or disruptive changes in the nature of the industry's competition in the next three years. Salesforce reported that 67% of IT leaders are prioritizing generative AI for business in the next 18 months and one third naming it a top priority. And of course, you know, we've been through this before. Uh, we've been through this for data decision making and big data. Remember that? And then big data needed, uh, needed um, you know, the analytics, which didn't really solve the problem. Uh, and we've had just over and over and over these huge claims, but AI is not plug and play, not, repeat, not public plug and play. There are, still aren't a lot of guardrails. McKinsey found that just 21% of organizations using AI have established policies at all. Only 32% are mitigating the risks of inaccuracy, only 25% for the risks of intellectual property infringement. This early experimentation stage with generative AI will eventually mature. Like the insights from Eric Vanderveld, the AI practice chair at Gibson Dunn, it was foreign boards 15 years ago uh, who started to think about privacy and have chief privacy officers at the design level and of products and services. The same thing is going to happen with AI. It'll take all the fun out of it, right? <laughs> Have you figured out how AI will impact our business? Working on it. How will AI impact our business? There are many ways AI can impact. Yeah, that, that, that. It always seems to start with there are many ways. <laughs> how did you get budget approval for all this? I just told them the name of the project. AI, right? Okay. And uh, AI turns this single bullet point into a long email I can pretend I wrote. AI makes a single bullet point out of this long email I can pretend I read. <laughs> and that's probably the most likely scenario of all, right? And uh, I think it's interesting that the AI professionals or the IT professionals are jumping on this with such fervor because most of the IT professionals that I've worked with, you know, I used to joke about our IT head and I said you know I could offer him a trip around the world if he just write one page a one-page essay on why he wanted to go and I'd never have to buy to buy it you know because typically IT people don't have a lot of verbal skills they don't have a lot of people skills not necessarily they want to go and <laughs> He said his number one, he wanted to be a manager. He said his number one fear was to be in a little room where we passed notes under the door. Well, we had email, so we didn't have to do that. But he liked to come in at seven at night and work till seven in the morning. And I said, at a minimum, you might have to work with people if you want to be a manager. That's kind of a minimum threshold. And to work with people, you might have to be here when the people are here. Anyway, um, Let's see where I obviously have at, I have I have a lot of articles up here from la, from Friday. We had a bit of a 
It's a bit of a challenge on Friday. Okay, now, next, I just want to talk about uh, digital mail volume briefly. Um, there's been a 13% decrease, and, you know, that's one of the WDMA supporters and I were, were talking over dinner. Um, and while we were talking, this is last week, I don't remember, Wednesday or Thursday or something. And while we were talking, they got a call from one of their big clients that said they're they're changing their mailer and they're not going to put a, a return envelope in it or not the kind that this, this printer produces. And uh, it was a big order. And, you know, they were their IT people said that they didn't like opening envelopes. <laughs> and the printer actually found a machine that would open all the envelopes for them of the size that they were making and um, had proven in split testing that the envelopes produced four times more return on investment, increased, incremental increase in the giving. But the IT people have a lot of pull, okay? And uh, they don't like mail for the most part, my experience. Um, But anyway, that's why we need marketing people. (laughs) And that's sometimes why we need somebody that can explain testing. Because the IT people sometimes do like testing. They like the idea of knowing something for sure. And they think marketing is the soft underbelly of business uh, that is easily pierced and and eviscerated. Um, so um, Patrick Carroll from SQL Response said this, this fall off a uh, 15% year-over-year decline may look startling. But when you remove the mortgage and loan sector... We're less than 7% off the pace, which is still a lot. You know, I remember telling Dick Cabela, and somebody jokes, they have a drinking game whenever I mention Cabela's, that that we could cut uh, 20% of the mailing and only cut 5% of the sales. He said, I don't want to cut 5% of the sales. I'd have to lay people off. Well, he might not have to if we were massively more profitable. But uh, because I didn't know how to explain it in those days, I didn't know how to explain the incremental benefits and say that you could apply it to prospecting um, rather than selectively eliminating some of the very worst customers. Um, We didn't really get the full power of it, and we didn't make the kind of money we could have. And the IT people got us fired. They said, oh, anybody can do this, which, of course, wasn't true, and the results went to garbage after that, I was informed. But IT people, you got to teach them. You got to teach them. They always report to finance, almost always, and finance, especially, you have to teach them. Okay, but the travel industry's direct mail is up 22%, but obviously doesn't make up the finance sector because the finance sector is one of the biggest. And here's a nifty infographic that shows down 14.8%, down 5.7%. Uh, more than 80% of credit card mailers are acquisition mailings. I'm always surprised that they don't put more in the in the billing. You know, I still get paper bills. It helps me remember to pay things. Um, and uh, we worked with the Hudson Bay Company before Cabela's, helping them put inserts into their mailer for some of their favorite products. Okay, here's a good article. Really like this one. No, AI won't change your marketing job. A contrarian perspective. AI is not a panacea to your business woes. AI will not fix your unproductive team. AI will not catapult your career overnight. The the argument 
his argument from Scott Garrett says the need there are three tenets. You need emotional intelligence, you need human relationships, and AI is a tool, not a replacement for humans, or we have big bigger problems than this. Knowing how to work with people and empowering them to bring their best will remains unchanged as technology advances. Generative AI is exciting, but it will not replace the need for humans to interact with humans. If it ever does, we have a species have a much bigger problem. On a, take a course on public. If you want to, you can either spend time learning AI or better yet, he says, take a course on public speaking or read about how emotions impact decision making. Excellent point. Focusing your time on soft skills, becoming more of a people person, improving your overall emotional intelligence will make you a much more rounded professional than knowing the ins and outs of IT of AI, especially since they're going to change it. Whatever you learn to do, whatever hacks or whatever prompts you write, as I pointed out yesterday or last week, the prompts for the AI email message were longer than an email message by quite a bit. Um, AI cannot anticipate nor respond to the emotional reactions of those receiving the message. Uh, human, not artificial relationships. Developing and maintaining and growing relationships is the most important skill in your career. I think that's been true for me, even though I pioneered uh, machine learning, which is one of the highest level variants of, of AI at the moment. Um, if you don't have people skills, people do not trust you and do not offer you help. We're looking for help with a digital revolution. You don't have to spend the $20 a month, you know, less than a dollar a day, a work day. <laughs> It's about 75 cents a day. Uh, if your boss can't give you that, you can still subscribe over at WDMA.org. You'll be kept aware of more of our stuff. You can join in our roundtables and our, our, our get-togethers, which we need to have one in September. And we will have one in September, I promise. And um, you can also repost these videos. I encourage you to watch them. Say something, comment, comment and repost are the biggest, seems to be the biggest driver of the LinkedIn algorithm. So that's very, very helpful for me. Likes don't do, seem to do much, but reposts and comments really do. And obviously I say enough controversial things. You can rip me to shreds every day if you like. I will thank you for it. <laughs> okay. A lack of strong relationships limits your prospect of advancing in any organization. Your contributions will likely be undervalued or unnoticed. Absolutely right. And as I learned when I was an absolute expert in uh, Symphony, <laughs> is once they change the interface, you're obsolete. You know, an eighth grader will know more than you know shortly. And once, and if you think you can quickly learn the new interface, your past training will will limit your ability to absorb an entirely new interface and then quattro pro will come along and then excel and then excel will change the interface on you <laughs> completely changing everything and moving everything around and they do it regularly just to make you feel stupid so ai will do the same thing to you i guarantee it it will it will do it over and over and over so the, the newest person in the organization that has no idea what the business is about will know more about AI than you do. So get to know the people around you because few people, few people succeed unless many people want them to. I saw that on a bottom of a business calendar one time and it's really been true. Uh, AI chatbots cannot and should not replace the human element because 
AI will not change your need to speak with your customers and collect information directly from them, which they will be happy to give you if they trust you. Many of us hate speaking robots or chatbots. Many businesses have placed reducing costs over human connections, and so you will create less quality content and miss the uniqueness of hu that only humans can create. And marketing is largely nuance. Now we'll get over to the last article, the science of direct mail, the psychology and how it influences response rates. Human psychology can be the, the key to unlocking unparalleled success. Share, psychology shapes the effectiveness of direct mail. Tangibility has a nostalgic tarm, charm. The act of physically holding a piece of mail triggers an intimate engagement in that digital trend into that digital trend channel even the not the nose of course the yeses we all know the yeses every medium knows the yeses but only direct marketing has engagement with people who are not interested that's what makes ai work in direct mail personalization which we will probably skip you know if you personalize it people think that they have a they have <laughs> A connection with you I'm not sure if that's true direct mail has the power to evoke a range of emotions and so you better know something about people right one of the things I've always had as a skill was the ability to predict the value of a mailing piece when I went to visit Southwest Bell they said well before we start this best practices session We'd like to just give you a quiz. And they had three folding tables, you know, the long ones, seat eight people. They had three of those laid out with 60-plus mailing pieces. And they said, which one do you think did the best? I should have walked away, but I was arrogant in those days, and I did know something about something. And so I looked them all over fairly carefully. I took my time, and I picked one up. And they said, how did you do that? That's our number two piece out of 60. I said, well, it had an honest look about it. You can do that in direct mail. You know, honest look from a phone company, that's something rare. Okay, so emotionally charged mail pieces stand out in the clutter and leave a lasting impact, paving the way for higher conversion rates. All of this is about people, right? AI doesn't care about you. It doesn't care if you don't like its copy. Okay. You can emphasize the scarcity principle. Now, AI will figure out some of this stuff and mimic it, but it could do it badly. It could actually invert what you really want to say. People could interpret it as sarcastic. You can emphasize uh, exclusivity and urgency, uh, authenticity and credibility, and I've mentioned that already. Uh, direct mail can really bring together the psychology. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go read Scientific Advertising, go to scientificadvertising.com, uh, read Claude Hopkins' book from 100 years ago, and he says that he learned everything he knew from the direct mail industry and how they tested and how they knew what they were talking about. And it's one of the greatest books of all time. And David Ogilvy's Confessions of an Ad Man also, he credits the direct mail industry for teaching him almost everything he knew about the effectiveness of advertising. Have a great day. Comment. Repost. And your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.